Hi everyone, my name is Jessica Mujis and I am the host and creator of the Kids Yoga Podcast and I am so excited to tell you about my new Patreon page. If you are a loyal listener and you've been listening for a while, I'd love for you to go check it out. So it's a monthly subscription service and there are different tiers and for each tier you will get added benefits. These include early access to episodes, bonus content from interviews that you haven't heard yet, and my most exciting is a community of kids yoga teachers that will meet monthly and I will be there to moderate and we will discuss our challenges, our questions, the biggest rewards, and I'll have former guests join us and you can ask them questions in real time. I'm really excited about this. So if you're interested, I would love for you to check out the page. I want to keep this podcast going and I just need a little help to do that. Thanks so much. Hi, and welcome to the Kids Yoga Podcast, the place for all things kids yoga. My name is Jessica Mujis, and after teaching kids yoga for over a decade and being immersed in the industry, I created this podcast as a warm and supportive place for parents, teachers, caregivers, and kids yoga professionals to gather. Episodes include conversations with kids yoga teachers, business owners, and authors, child development experts, informational episodes on specific kids yoga topics, yoga adventures for children, and even the voices of children themselves. It is my hope that you can come here each week and gain inspiration and form connection with your fellow kids yoga community. Welcome to the Kids Yoga Podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Hey, welcome back to the Kids Yoga Podcast. My name is Jessica. I am joined by Laura Hawkeiser today. Laura, this is actually her third time on the podcast. So if you haven't already, definitely, if you enjoy this conversation, go back and listen to those as well. Um, but if you don't know already, Laura is the owner of Flow and Grow Kids Yoga. She's also an author and you can pre-order her book, um, it's coming out, I know, May 11th. I remember the date. That's my birthday. Oh, there it is. She's showing it to me. It's called Mindfulness for Beginners in 10 Minutes a Day. Go on Amazon, get in your pre-order. That helps the book to, you know, bump up a bit and right that those pre-sales really help. So Lara and I are going to be discussing a lot today, but mainly we wanted to talk about how to apply yoga philosophy to the business of kids yoga. So Lara, welcome back. Thank you, Jessica. I'm so grateful to be in your presence. You are somebody I love and respect and I'm so grateful for your voice, amplifying the voices of so many people in this field. And when, you know, like we've talked about this in previous podcasts, but when we were coming up in the industry, it was a total competitive, place and people didn't feel like there was room for them and you have made room for them. Um, and anyone I send your way, you make room for them. And I also learn about amazing people to follow because of you. So I just want anyone listening to recognize what an important role you're playing in the industry, um, just from your little neck of the woods. So thank, thank you, you so much. much. <laughs> that means so much, Lara. And I'm going to tell everyone, um, Lara's outside recording. She's in Brooklyn but it's just a beautiful day. And we're like, this is life. Let's, let's be outside. So if you hear any background noises, that's what it is. It's life. <laughs> <laughs> so let, let's dive in. So I wanted to start, we were going to talk a lot about the, the, the yamas and niyamas specifically in yoga philosophy. So just for anyone listening who maybe isn't as familiar, can you just start there and kind of Fill, fill us in on what the yamas and niyamas are within yoga? I would love to. So yoga um, is part of it, the ashtangas, which is an eight-limb path or an eight-limbed eight tree. And the primary two, the first two, which means in order of operations of the most importance, and you're supposed to have these as a prerequisite skill prior to even breathing and moving, are the yamas and the niyamas. And that has been... Um, you know, that order was put forth by the sage Patanjali thousands of years ago, where he wrote down 
all of the wisdom of yoga that had been passed down orally from previous sages, um, from the Vedas and Upanishads. So the Yoga Sutras come to us uh, kind of as the first written document explaining how yoga unfolds in human consciousness. And the first two, the yamas and niyamas, are the ethical restraints and the observances. So it's basically what not to do and then how to be in the world. And so the yamas have five and the niyamas have five elements. And the yamas, uh, you know, and I think everybody kind of knows the first yama is ahimsa, uh, but there are five of each. And what happens when you follow those ethical principles is actually it shapes your mind. And the most important thing to recognize is when you are not shaping your mind around ethical principles and you learn to focus and meditate and study and you increase your power, you are going to increase the negative aspects of the mind, jealousy, greed, all of these things. And you see very powerful people come into power on the planet who have learned to increase their focus and power and concentration in not so ethical ways. And we see that, and I'm not gonna make any political statements specifically right now, but across the history of mankind. So the ethical principles help us every single day make decisions um, and it takes away some of the um, weight of decision-making because we know who we are and we know how to make decisions. It's a framework for thinking. Um, with kids that are little, I would say that it's like how to be a good person. And with older people, I'd say it's ethical principles um, that we can learn from. And when you really are able to do them day to day, it just takes off the pressure of having to be like, how do I make this decision? Um, so I think it actually helps. And once you have these ethical principles down in your practice, in your, then you can dive deeper into yoga and learn that deeper concentration. Mm -hmm. I love how you, I think a lot of us forget that those are actually the first two of the branches of yoga. I think there's, a lot of focus, definitely on the physical, also on the breathing, but the fact that you're, what you're saying, it's like, this is the groundwork that yep. brings us to the practice and how we share that with children is going to be different than how we approach it as adults, but it's, it's just so important. Um, so I want to talk about applying these to, specifically to the business of, of kids yoga. Um, I've talked about on the podcast multiple times and I've had guests come on talking about um, the toxicity that is in this industry, which is not solitary to kids yoga. It's everywhere. Right, every industry. Right. So since it's in every industry, of course, it's in within kids yoga. But um, it's just the irony to me that we are doing this work and then, you know, that there are these issues within the industry. The positive for me is like people like you who are really changing that. And I think the important thing you're doing is, is, um, the value of, of kids yoga. Like you're, you're really focused on the value and how important it is. I think if we start there and we remember that that's going to make a massive difference. So for you, like how, how do you go about applying the yamas and the niyamas within your experience as a business owner? So one of the first things I would say is asteya, which is non-stealing, non-covetousness. First of all, you don't have to do what anyone else is doing. Take the pressure off of having to be where anyone else is. You don't have to copy or replicate. And if you do have someone as a teacher, like I have students all the time who accidentally step on my words. They'll use quote verbatim from my text in their um, flyers or they'll use my imagery and they won't even recognize the need to say this was by my teacher. And I know they're not doing that on purpose, but the point is, say who your teachers are, honor the lineage you, you have, and don't steal anyone's business. There's room for you. And I think like when I lead my trainees through a course, I provide them tons of opportunities and concrete examples and they're off and they're running and they're not fighting anyone else. Mm. Um, and they all, they are clear about who they are. That's why, yeah, yeah, that self-study, that self-knowledge, they all have their own skill sets. And so does everyone listening that will make a unique kids yoga experience for a specific subset of people that need you, right? Like I have a student making a 200 hour special needs teacher training and he knows how to like do feeding tubes and work with people with muscular gesture. And I don't, I can't do that. That's not my thing. I don't want to step on that. Like I want to amplify that. So by not stealing, by not coveted, coveting what others have, 
And then another piece I would say is the, uh, just to use a Himza, um, true support, true mentorship. When you charge enough money that you can provide a service, right? Because I think a lot of people are having a race to the bottom with their services. They not they don't charge enough. And then, so say you're training teachers and they, they paid you rock bottom and you can't afford to give them your time and energy. Well, okay, we can learn how to get grant money so you don't leave out people who can't afford it. But beyond that, charge enough so that I have tons of special needs adults in my courses and they need me to handhold and I do it because I don't take 60 people. I take 15 in my trainings. And I think when you are really thinking about kindness, love and connection, unity, mentorship, the yoga way is like having a real teacher walk you through. Like you don't just get like three months and then bye. Like I am on the phone with all of my previous trainees. Like I've spoken to all of them via text, phone call, FaceTime in the last month. We're all very close because the relationship is at the heart of that. And the relationship, I think, first of all, we need relationship. Like I think there's so many trainings that are just like stamp by. Um, so when they go out to make a business and they're running into their issues, everyone is there to support each other. So I think it's a Himza. Um, and I think Satya, just being truthful, like, I'm not the best teacher for that, right? Like somebody said, I, I really want to learn to work with kids with special needs. And I was like, you know, I definitely teach an inclusive classroom, but I'm not an expert in that. Here are three experts that are potentially offering courses. You may want to look at those um, either instead or in addition to. So I think just being real with what you can offer and then the students you pull in know what they'll be able to do and they can serve the specific students that they're going to serve. So I really think that the whole yamas and niyamas is helpful. The final one I'll say is Ishvara Pranidana, when you just surrender to the forces greater than you and you're like, you can't control what's going to happen in your business. You put all your energy and efforts in and sometimes they're fruitful and sometimes they fizzle and continuing to recognize your path, your calling, your direction, um, and take these kind of forces of nature that are larger than us in stride. And when you get knocked down, you know, rest and come back when you're ready. But um, we can't like make it all about our personal failings. Like it's not just that there's so much beyond you. So if, if for those of you who are feeling frustration in your business, I've been there. I, I, I'm there all the time. And I also feel a sense of purpose and calling driving me back when there are these challenges. And sometimes you just need to recalibrate. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I think the biggest example of that for you was when the pandemic hit and I know your, your business model completely shifted, Rumbled. right? Yeah. It, I mean, everything I had been doing to earn money went away. Um, school programming died immediately and so did in-person trainings. And those were my two main revenue sources. So I had to like totally do everything again. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it was such a good thing for me because I am such a, like my, my position in the community needs to be of leadership now and of helping other people rather than just focusing on every single child, because we all go through evolution and that's where I was. And I wasn't really ready to step into that until I was forced to. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think, I mean, you said so much there. That's so important. Um, something I want to add is like, so you've been at this for how long now since? Um, so I was started out, out outside of, I graduated college in 2008 and I was doing Spanish immersion preschool then. And I was mm -hmm. doing mindfulness and SEL and yoga in my circle time. So really since then, but full-time since 2011. Okay. So you've been at this over a decade and I know a lot of people are newer to this. It takes time and trial and error and making the mistakes and saying yes to the things that you wish you didn't say yes to mm -hmm. and working with the, a population that you're like, oh, maybe this isn't my specialty. It takes a long time to find, to get to a point where Lara is, where you can then, which I think is so important, where you can then discern and say, yes, for example, someone reaches out to you and you can say, you know what? They're, I, I, I know about this topic, but I also know these three other people that are special specialists in this mm -hmm. and let me refer you. So I just want to encourage the listeners, 
you might not be at that point yet where you're able to discern. Maybe you're at the point right now where you're saying yes to everything. I think that's valid. Um, yes. But over time, learn from what, what learn from your mistakes, learn from your rewards and your challenges. And it's like, it's like going through the mud. It's like you, st- you slowly start to figure out where you're little niches and there's room for everybody. There really is room for everybody. It's so true. But even like when people come through my courses now and they are like, I got this opportunity. It sounds way out of my wheelhouse. I'm like, well, do you really want to take that opportunity or is it going to take the energy and attention you need for a more fitting opportunity? And sometimes it's important to like, even at the beginning, we have this sense of like, I'm not going to get enough opportunities if I say no to this, but Potentially, you have to do some things that are outside your comfort zone to find your comfort zone or to find your specialty. Um, but if you have that thing inside saying, this is going to be too much work for the reward, or it's going to be such a stretch that it's going to take more than it gives back, because what we do gives so much back that it's like, okay, it was worth that output because of the input I got. I would encourage everybody to just re- recognize when you're making a decision that is outside of what you suspect will be filling up you back up and do those in small amounts. Mm. Don't, don't take on a million opportunities that are going to cause so much extra work and extra worrying. Um, because when you're new and you have, even if you got an hour gig, you're going to spend hours thinking about it, you know, like, so mm-hmm. just knowing that's part of it, I think just choosing better fits from the beginning Will help people like that's so what yeah, yeah I'm like looking in I know me I know where I am pulled and I'm intentionally starting out in that direction and of course there's no straight path right my path has been like <laughs> <laughs> yes. but uh, I think that we can try to remember our trajectory because of our meditation because of our concentration because of our focus and we've started with our ethical principles we've started with our breath and our poses and then we're starting to increase our concentration and focus so when you actually have a personal practice which should be prerequisite but it isn't for everyone right a lot of us come mm-hmm. because we love kids and then we're like backtracking yeah so respect yes. high level of respect to those people but you got to do it put in the time and then you're like catching yourself you know you can yes. catch yourself yes well I, I love that um you know looking back so my experience in the industry, I was just so passionate about it. I was also in my twenties and, you know, I was young, probably broke, naive. <laughs> yeah, broke. Exactly. I was saying yes to everything because I didn't know exactly, you know, I didn't know which, which, which way I was going. So I was saying yes to everything. Um, but I was also at one point in a situation where I was very much pressured into mm. situations, teaching situations that I didn't, I really didn't want to be in, Um, Mm -hmm. but I was given the message, like, I'm giving you this opportunity, like Mm -hmm. this, (laughs) anyone would want this opportunity. And, and looking back, I feel such compassion for myself because, you know, I really had the best of intentions, but guess what happened? I was overworked, burned out. Guess what happened? My appendix ruptured. I got, and yeah, it was literally on a bodily level. My body was like, you're not slowing down. I'm telling you to slow down. You're not slowing down. Boom. Suddenly I'm getting my appendix out. And I'm only really... laughing because I'm terrible, yeah. but I'm sorry that happened to you. No, no, it's, it's, it was meant to be because it's, I slowed down and I was like, what am I doing to myself? Mm-hmm. Like I am, I am sick. So don't get to that point. Like I don't, you know, I relate to that so much. You understand? Yeah. Sick. I was working for another organization that I highly respect for like less than two months, but I could not be them. I couldn't teach in their methodology and I had no control over my sites. And I was put somewhere that made my, I have sensory processing issues. So in loud, bright places, I fl- I fail. I would never have put myself there and I was sick. I would never sleep. I would have nightmares. I was sweating. Mm-hmm. I couldn't teach the kids in that place. I, it was the first time I can ever say I did a bad job. So when you talk about your body giving out, I was weak in the legs walking up the stairs to this classroom. I could barely physically muster it and I failed. And it was because I didn't listen to everything my mind and body said. They were like, hello, hello, here we are with wisdom and love. 
we love you. We want you to be, you know, and I was like, I don't have enough. I have to take this opportunity. This is the only way. And it was not the way. So I I have compassion for the past life, you and me, but maybe people listening can learn from that piece of us that we sacrificed our well-being to attempt to like squash ourselves into the opportunities we thought were the only opportunities. Right. It comes back to that self-study, right? Like being able to, if you're go, 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 go. Yes. Oh my, but I'm getting it. My intuition's telling me no, but I'm going to keep going. If you're in that space, there's no time for that self-reflection. So I think that self-study, self-reflection, coming back to that quiet, like you said, it should be the prerequisite for this work should Mm -hmm. be like that you have your own quiet, self-reflective practice. Mm. But yeah, I just encourage anyone listening. You might be in the situation right now. You might be listening and saying, I'm in that situation right now where I'm not doing exactly what it is. Right. They're like, can you teach us circus yoga? And you're like, I don't even know what that means. Right. It's like, (laughs) and we all get those wild phone calls for something that has nothing to do with our specialty and our, you know, our credibility like is on the line. That's also too, like you might be getting pressured from a mentor who sees potential in you. But it could also be from a business owner who just has no other option and they are, and I even think they think they are not, I, I would say the vast majority of these people were not intentionally taking advantage because mm-hmm. I, I know that that's a little bit where this conversation is coming from, where people people are taken advantage of, but the business owner is expecting you to be a sovereign being that knows their own boundaries. Mm-hmm. And I'll just say that in defense mm-hmm. of some of the people who have perpetrated against us unintentionally. I will say on a yes. conscious level, they didn't mean anything by it. Mm-hmm. They were like, this is an opportunity. And, um, you know, but at the end of the day, those people's businesses grow and you're a piece in their business. And unless you're being made a partner or something, a lot of us making these major sacrifices for other organizations, can maybe reconsider how much you want to spread yourself in for somebody else's growth. And I'm not going to name names, but I see organizations that I really respect who had like second and third in line people. And when COVID hit, the only person at the organization that is in front of the camera and making money is that top person. Hmm. Uh, and so that's too bad because if you're going to be sacrificed when times get hard, but you're sacrificing your health, yourself and your health and your and your personal trajectory, your attention, your energy, your life force energy, you know, your commitment to your own self for somebody else's bottom line, whether it's their, the business's ability to grow and, and accommodate new clients or whatever it is, really think about um, yourself in that equation. And will the experience actually be commensurate to the, the pay and many of people are asked to volunteer mm-hmm. and you've just paid all this money for your trainings and you probably aren't in the position to even do that. So I would have people right. consider a, when you're asked to volunteer, is this a charity or is this somebody else's business that can't afford you? Yeah. So well, that brings me to the next topic I wanted to cover, which is just the basic differences between being an independent contractor and being an employee of a company. And I think a lot of a lot of us aren't very clear on that. Right. This is and so important. <laughs> it, this is so guys, listen. Yeah, this, Lara and I have like extensively texted about this like all the so time. Much, yeah, we're like, ah. But we are so, on our soapbox yeah. <laughs> like three days a week talking about this. So there is a difference between being hired as an independent contractor and being being hired as an employee. And there are certain pros and cons to each, but Lara, can you kind of get it, just explain like what, what each is and, I would and love to. what they mean? Okay. So an independent contractor is paid hourly for agreed upon gigs, right? So a lot of kids yoga teachers will get paid, say like whatever amount of dollars to teach this class. Okay. That's an example of that. Under the umbrella of independent contractor, Your employer cannot ask you to do any training. They cannot train you unless it's paid. They cannot require you to teach their curriculum. They can only provide it as a possible option. Um, And so like, I think a lot of people break that. I think a lot of people ask for free time from those independent contractors, come to this meeting, come to this training. Even if the training is free, it cannot be required. It can be optional, 
And I think that's a um, kind of symbiotic relationship where you give, I've given tons of free training to flow and grow teachers. Back when we were doing a lot of kids yoga in schools, I would, anybody who worked for me, if I had a training near them, I would include them for free, but they weren't required. Um, so the employer can get huge penalties if they have the subcontractor. Um, for example, the subcontractor can't be told when to work. So a, a workaround for this is the school or the camp chooses the schedule and the subcontractor agrees to it. It's work for hire. You can only, you know, pay them for that time. And then an employee is a, like, you know, you're, you're not just getting paid for the hour you teach, right? So you're, you know, maybe you have a salary and those people can be required to do trainings and meetings and all of that. Um, but the employer matches what the employee pays into the taxes, like we have to pay social security and stuff like that, where when you're a subcontractor, you pay a hundred percent for yourself. Um, so your tax dollar in the U S your tax bill will be more as a, as an, as a subcontractor, your employer will cover some of that 7.5% of that 15% of the social security we all pay. So there are perks to that. Um, the vast majority of people are most likely subcontractors. I, like I am an employee in my own business and I pay myself a salary and I pay my own taxes and stuff like that. But all the people who work for me are work for hire. And even the people who've worked for me for many years, even my, my blog manager and my social media manager, they every time decide when they're going to work and when they can do meetings. And I might throw out a few times, but they're really in charge of their schedules. Everything's optional. Like I have a, a, a college student who's one of my um, team members. So if she has finals, I can move responsibilities off of her plate. It's really more flexible and that's how a subcontractor should be. Um, but I would say a subcontractor, like you might still have to take on a contract for a year. It's really bad look for a business to have a, their teacher suddenly be gone in the middle of a school a semester. So one of the things employers need to realize, even if you pay subcontractors, pay them more than you think they are worth and charge more than you think you need to. Because if that person's breaking up their day to work for one hour, but it's taking them three hours to do it, you need to pay them three hours worth of labor. So, you know, even when it sounds great, like, so say you make $40 an hour, well, if you're paying your own taxes and everything, you're probably making $22 an hour. So you might need mm -hmm. to get paid a hundred dollars. And then the, the business owner has to charge more. And that's where the value of the actual yoga and mindfulness comes in because people would never ask, um, you know, school schools pay a ton of money to have specialty, specialty programming. And they like, there's no reason yoga and mindfulness should cost less. And the same thing privately. And now of course that comes into equity issues and things like that, but there is grant money available. If you want to reach hard to reach populations and that is what your heart wants you to do, do it. So many of my teachers are going out and they're, they're serving these populations with free money sitting in bank accounts. So we can, we can access that. And as a subcontractor, you can still get big contracts in schools. You probably just need to get whatever the local, um, like in New York, you have to be a DOE vendor, whatever that local um, permission is to work in schools. You can do that just as a subcontractor. You don't have to start up a whole business um, to teach or to teach for others. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like you said, I think a majority of kids yoga teachers, if you're working for someone else, you're a subcontractor, an independent contractor. The benefits are that, yeah, you make your own schedule. You, you could say no to things. You aren't required to go to trainings, but you might get free trainings that you might want to go to, right? So right, you are right, getting, right. <clears throat> um, so it's just important to know the difference. And when you get a contract from a business, have a lawyer read the contract and explain it to you if you don't understand it, just so you understand what you're getting into when you're And one of the something. most important things you should do, whether you're working with a school or a yoga business, have them explain their contract to you. So mm. I've actually had some great, um, so when I was coming up in the industry, I worked for Abby Davy Steinbecker of My First Yoga, and she explained her contract to me. It was a really legally jargon-heavy contract. She's like, all it means is for two years after stopping at a location, you won't try to take that school. And she told me that people had take, tried to take her schools in the past, that you will wear the t-shirt when you go to the site that says My First Yoga, um, and 
that you will be punctual and like, you know, just appropriate mm-hmm. and professional. It was all extremely reasonable. And like two and a half years after I stopped working for her, one of my sites that loved me that I had worked for under her reached out to me. And even though the contract was over, I just said, Hey, I wanted you to know these people reached out to me personally. And I just, because I didn't legally need to do that, but I let mm-hmm. her know these people are interested in working with me. And I, I don't want to, you know, I think that's a part of being part of a community and the honesty and communication that people deserve. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And that kind of is just, again, keeping in mind what you said earlier, that there's enough for everybody. But so there's also a balance with that where you have your own knowledge, intellectual property, everything that you're offering. So you're not just like giving it away, right? There's a balance, but you're also not like grasping onto it. So you're not. So how do you, how do you as a business owner find that balance, like because I, I know I've, I've had an ex, have experiences that people reach out sometimes. They're like, hey, so can you tell me how to market my classes and like how to start a business? And I'm like, uh, <laughs> you know, it's like, so it's like, they're just expecting, I don't, I'm not sure, like, you know, all this labor for free. Like, how do you have that? How do you find that balance where it's you're so giving hard. and not? Yeah, it's so hard. Well, here's the thing is I am, truly friends and family with everybody who comes through my 95s because we spend three months together and all of them I've talked to for 30 to 45 minutes over a Zoom call before we even start. There's a real family camaraderie. Um, So if they ask me a question and I have the energy, I'll tell them. But I'll also say, listen, I've got uh, an S storm of crazy in my life right now. I cannot handle another thing. Why don't you ask this in our community group? Because like the hive mind can help. Um, Also, like in my 95, there's a business module. So people seem pretty ready to go out. And I have like one person in my current cohort who's constantly asking for business advice. And I'm like, can you please wait till we get to the business module and see if it gets answered? Because I'm writing a book, I'm launching a book. Like, you know, my second, I'm in the middle of writing my second book. I'm, I'm leading this course. So I need to have these boundaries up. Simultaneously, I used to actually do, and I may start doing it again, coaching for my trainees where they could pay a certain number of dollars per month for a 30 minute call. And they could just ask me anything or they could make smart goals. It was kind of like your typical coaching with much more flexibility based on what they really, their goals were. So it wasn't like you have to do smart goals and report back. It was like, do you need smart goals or do you need my ear? Cause a lot of time they would just tell me what was going on and I could be like, well, that sounds like a red flag or, Hey, can you ask this question? And so having somebody like that, I think, you should pay for people's time, people listening. Um, just recognize that someone like me or Jessica who have spent our entire adult lives working in this industry, our time is very valuable and we are extremely generous people. We are extremely compassionate people and it's very hard for us to keep that boundary up. Um, so you could even say, I'll pay you for your time as an offering. And then we can say great or not, you know, like, mm-hmm at least acknowledge that there is a service being provided. Um, But yeah, I I do think there's a little bit of, you know, some people also get taken advantage of getting pulled into like $4,000 coaching programs when they just needed an hour or two of advice. So find your balance there. A lot of great people in this industry want to help you. But I think before you go into a coaching situation, really get to know your coach and make sure that person has the bandwidth because if you pay into a coaching thing and they've got like a million people um you may find that you're still on your own a little bit or feeling that way so Mm -hmm. i think value your people's time and for us we need to know when to say i'm drowning can't or that's just not something i have time for or it's like a question you're so excited about and a lot of times i'll like just drop a video into my flow and grow group and say hey one of our people had this great question i think everyone would benefit from it mm-hmm. or i'll ask if it's one someone from my cohort i'll say ask me that in class and then other people can benefit from it so if you are already a leader um you can find ways to put it into your prepaid time but i am very guilty of giving away my time and energy uh, but at this point, I'll say this, 
my people give so much back to me. Like yesterday I opened the mail and I had a hundred dollars worth of juice plus products from one of my students. Cause she said that she, she heard me talking about not liking my vitamins and like I get presents in the mail every week. Like, so at this point I feel that my students acknowledge how much extra I give them. And I, not that I need presents, but I'm, I, I recognize that their cards, their text messages, their video testimonials, those are the rewards I'm getting from them. So if you do want to give away a little bit of free advice, you can then leverage and say, can you please send me a video about how helpful this was? And that's a mm-hmm. way you can get kind of paid back. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, yeah. I know that was a long-winded answer, but those but are no, my, those I think are my the answers. thing is, it's like, if, first of all, some people that reach out to me, like haven't done a training yet. And they're asking me all these questions that are covered oh in gosh, the training. <laughs> so I'm like, well, yes, yeah, sign up for a training. And I know, you know, so many great ones. And, you know, so first of all, like find, do a training first, find the right training for you. That's going right. to find, cover find your teacher. Yeah. Find your teacher. And then once you're within a training, you're going to have a community of people and then it's, it's different, I think, asking a, a teacher that you've worked with, that you've had exchanges with right. versus just like reaching out to like someone you don't even know. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's a tricky balance. And I think well, if you get enough people asking that you could do like a masterclass type thing where everybody pays yes. $25 for an hour and you're just like, here's the main questions I get. So I think right. just other people like Jessica who are more experienced getting these questions you can find a way to add value and to get paid back and to like pull these people together. Cause then all these like-minded people are now with the same question brought together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, But it is crazy when people are like, how do you, st-? I mean, I have so many people reaching out to me that want to do my course, like in France and in, you know, and they're, they want to start a yoga school and they don't have their 200. And they're like, can I do it with my 95? I'm like, you can, but how is your yoga practice? And how, like, you know, do you want to be registered with the yoga Alliance or not like all these things? And then they're Mm -hmm. like, sad face. I can't be registered with the yoga Alliance. I'm like, you can, but you would have to also have a 200. Right. And you should want to have the bare minimum training. If Mm -hmm. this is your job. I mean, to me, it's most of my students that don't have a 200 go off to get them. Yes. But people have a hard time investing in something. I know it's they hard. It's intimidating. It. Yeah. Everybody went to undergrad. Everybody got their math, you know, in right. this culture, like in the West, people get their undergrad, they go, you know, that costs hundreds of thousands of dollars and you can't spend maybe five to 10 on your full yoga education. Like, right. I think when you are willing to invest and if you don't have the means, help your yoga school of choice, find a grant and you guys write mm-hmm. it together. Mm-hmm. I have actually had people text me to say, can I take your course for free? I haven't worked in two years. I said, totally send me your email. We're going to work on getting a grant for you. Air radio silence. They just want it for free, but they don't want to do anything. If you want nice. a free education and you have a business willing to help get a grant, that business can't afford to teach you for free. They can't mm-hmm. because we live in a capitalist society in an expensive world. People need to charge, but you can partner with them and get the grant, help the people help you. That's yeah. the thing that drives me crazy. Like let right. yourself get helped. Exactly. Yeah. Put there's, it's all energy exchange. It's like, it's all about that. Well, coming back to like where we started the yamas and the niyamas, I did want to ask you out of all of them. I know they're, they're, they're all so interrelated, but is there one of them that over this past year where your business just like completely flipped and changed that you feel really helped you get through it? I would say the first Yama and the last Niyama, uh, the last Niyama is Ishvara Pranidana, which is surrender to God or surrender. Basically, um, I had to surrender what I was gripping onto. I had to let go to make space, um, And I'm so, so, so grateful from the bottom of my heart that everything changes and the forces of nature were like, this will change. And the mourning and letting things pass away and feeling the depth of your heart with that, it doesn't mean that you won't feel, right? I grieved and then I moved forward. Um, And I know we're going to talk about Santosha, but I would say contentment and Ahimsa, Mm -hmm. just the compassion for myself and others, people had a really hard time getting to the 95. Sometimes their family was going through hard times or whatever, like just having compassion for them, for myself, for all the anxiety I felt. Um, 
not believing in myself the first couple times I led the course, even though people were loving it, like just feeling like, am I good enough? And giving myself the love and attention and time I needed to to get used to something new. Um, and the Santosha, being content, like I feel such a sense of clarity that this is what I need to be doing. So letting enough be enough. If if things are perfect or not perfect, it's enough. And the, the sense of like, I, you know, I lived in Costa Rica during college and they would always say like, tranquilo, like, like calm, like, you know, like everything's chill. And like, I really get, I feel that now, like I don't have to, I cannot control everything. So there's a sense of like, this is fine, allowing. Mm-hmm. Um, and daily meditation has really, really helped that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really I, I just, I've, the last month I've gotten back into the daily meditation. You're so right. I mean, it's, it's definitely life-changing. Oh yeah. We were texting about that. I was like, I'm dead. I'm dying. My brain doesn't work. And you're, (laughs) I know I'm like, we need, yeah. You're like, how do you meditate with your kids in the house? And they were like, I'm like, I just sit up in bed. I just, I just right away in my bed and do it. Cause it really hears me sit up. She comes in even that now she knows I'm listening to a meditation and will stand outside my door until the second her clock turns green. <laughs> but I'm doing it. I'm doing it yes. even though it's not perfect. I'm yes, doing exactly. Well, how have you found that Santosha, that contentment in, in being where you are? Is it through your, your personal practice that you're able to find that? Uh, I mean, I have to say, oh, sorry. Um, my teacher has been so helpful. I've been working with a yoga therapist um, mm. and just having, ha- everyone needs a teacher, um, no matter how much experience you have. She's really become a personal friend. Um, Leslie Tomlinson, uh, H2O Therapeutics. She's amazing yoga therapist. Um, I have been listening to a Yoga Sutras podcast, which you have in the show notes. Absolutely life-changing talking to um, Anna Hansen of Sedona Kids Yoga about the Yoga Sutra's deep dive into the dorky academic depths of the scripture, Um, truly diving back into my practice. Writing my mindfulness book was like Mm. such a big boost because I'm like, oh my God, I'm telling everyone else to do this stuff and I'm like floundering. So even in the process of writing it, I just started to have oh yeah, I forgot about this. And oh yeah, I you know there's like 52 activities in that book or something or 60. And I'm like, these are all things I know and teach. Mm-hmm. The other piece is actually teaching it. The joy of transmitting the knowledge, like I would say tr- contentment for me creates joy and joy creates contentment. And it's like, I've had a lot of personal tragedy and major, major systemic change going through my family and personal life. And, um, despite how destabilizing it's all been, I feel like everything is okay. Everything is changing. The gunas, the the Mm -hmm. braiding of the forces of nature, everything will change and I can embrace that. So that has really just been uh, like tear me open, Mm -hmm. but build it back up. And yeah, it's just, yeah. Isn't oh, it awesome that like here. what I know, but isn't it amazing? Like what we're teaching children and what we're teaching adults to teach children is then what we're using to take care of ourselves. Right. I, I just think we're, I just love that. We're, I feel very lucky that my career path and what I'm doing is tied into exactly how I take care of myself too. And, and how you raise your family. Yes. It's like, it's, it's really part of everything. Mm-hmm. And that to me has been so exciting because I used to see yoga woven through my entire life. And then about five years ago, that all changed. Um, And I'm starting to really feel that again. And diving back into personal practice is such a delight. I really want that for everybody listening, that they Mm -hmm. have their own relationship. Because if you're just like, oh, I've been to 25 yoga classes, I could be a yoga teacher. That is such a drop in the bucket like the sages study for 50 60 years every day like you have more to gain you do Mm -hmm. this is a way to it's a lifestyle it's not just it's a it's a life it's 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 the science of wellness it's the science of knowing yourself 
And I know people want to call it a pseudoscience, but when you feel things out of balance and you put them back in balance, how is that not that observation, that self-study to figure out mm -hmm. how to put things back in balance, to be in attuned to nature and like eating the right stuff. I mean, all of it to me makes perfect sense how it is medicine, mm -hmm. um, but we are in a Western world and people look at medicine very differently, but I truly feel this has like continued to save me over and over and over. Um, so I'm very grateful to my teachers and to the practice. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to, before we wrap up, I do want to hear about your book. So <laughs> it's so exciting. You're an author. I know you're writing your second book. <laughs> you have it. Oh, it's so, it must be so amazing so to hold cute. it in your hands. Uh, so tell me, tell me about the, to hold it. yeah, tell me about it and the process of writing it. And okay. So my best friend died and three days later I got asked to submit a writing sample on a mindfulness book for beginners. And I was like, oh my God, universe, what are you doing? But that, um, the process of writing it through the, like, you know, my best friend and I shared a practice and like really dove in together. So it was such a, such a um, beautiful way to honor her life. And, yes. Um, get back to my practice. So the book is, it's no barriers. Anybody, anybody can do it. It's really easy. Um, every, you know, like I took some mindfulness trainings that I couldn't even do like five years ago, like 20 years, 15 years into a, a practice because I didn't have the stillness that it requires. This book doesn't have any prerequisite skills. All you need to be able to do is read, um, and have a few minutes. It's practices for morning, day and evening. So for busy people, you can find it. Everything's under 10 minutes. You can pick something, spend five or 10 minutes uh, creating a sanctuary, learning to ground, learning to center, learning to send compassion to yourself and others. Just really basic practices. Um, it's yoga and it's mindfulness. There's a little bit of chakra stuff in there. Um, but every, every activity is under 400 words. It's very accessible. Um, and it's written in honor of my best friend and in all in honor of all my teachers. So the cool thing about it is like every teacher I've ever had, I carry with me and they're all here. So everybody gets the benefit of like all of those people. So mm. it was just such a labor of love. Wow. I didn't realize that just three days after she died, that this is when they you were approached. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I mean, I was up against 21 other authors and I was like, there's no way I'm going to get this. Mm. They first approached me to write the kid's book. And I was like, totally. Um, and then they said, actually, we're going to have you write the kid's book later, which I'm working on now. It's mm. a mindfulness for kids five to seven. But um, they said, we need this sooner because that's what everyone's desperate for during mm. COVID. Um, and somehow my sample was favorited for both books. Actually, I was up against a bunch of authors for the second book too. And I think it's because I really think and feel like from the bottom of my heart that things should be accessible. Accessibility is so important to me, plain English, compassion. That's how I speak. That's how I write anyways. Mm -hmm. So just having had a daily writing practice for people like, oh my God, you got a book deal. It's so cool. You can't wait to get the book deal to start writing. You have to do it now. You have to do it now. Don't mm -hmm. wait. And mm -hmm. for people that want to be mindful, like, don't wait. Like, the, the book is so easy to read. It's a two-hour read, cover to cover, because mm -hmm. I've had all of my um, endorsers were able to read it in one day. And I'm really proud of what I'm getting back from my endorsers. And, um, yeah, so it's on pre-sale. Um, people who order before the pre-sale ends will get their book by May 11th. And it's, yeah, I don't know when this podcast comes out, but either way, um, just we'll put the link in the show notes. It's called Mindfulness for Beginners in 10 Minutes a Day. Moment, uh, Mindful moments to bring clarity and calm to your morning, day, and night. And yeah, it would mean the world to me to see people reading it and starting to make incremental daily changes. That's all I want for people. I don't need you to be a monk on a cushion. I just want you to be yourself and, and take that time that you deserve. Yeah, it, it feels very doable. Even as a busy mom in a pandemic, It's I, I'm like, you could, I could, I could see myself just flipping open to one of the activities to a page exactly. and just, and doing that. So, and they did such a cute job. Like if just the, like, it's so beautiful. They oh, did such a good job beautiful. on the 
design and it's it's like an, an you know the kind of book you would grab in the airport bookstore mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it, it is available wherever books are sold so I'm excited to like see it in the bookstore at the airport yeah. in a couple weeks hopefully when I go on a trip and yeah. Really, yeah well that's so amazing I'm so proud of you thank you you, you deserve all the success and is there anything else before we wrap up that is happening with Flow and Grow that you wanted to mention? Oh, thank you for asking. So um, my next two cohorts for the 95-hour teacher training are coming up. This June 22nd to August 19th is a summer training, which will be um, like in Eastern hours from 11 to 3, Tuesday, Wednesdays, and Thursdays for the summer. Um, so people in Europe and people in the West Coast should be able to attend. And then in the in the fall, I'm doing it evenings, Tuesdays and Thursday nights um, for the, the 95. So there'll be two chances to get that. A lot of school districts are sending people um, to try to have a sustainable mindfulness program. So if there's any school personnel listening, um, districts can get money from grants and send you through the program and you can start to make a difference on the ground. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's a lot going on in Flow and Grow. We have been really conscientiously putting out tons and tons and tons of free content on Yamas and Niyamas on the blog. Uh, and so we have a huge, um, like in the pipeline, we have just so much coming out to just give you practical daily advice on how to, to learn about the Yamas and Niyamas and implement it in your work with kids. And um, we're also gonna be doing a really cool storytelling. So we're gonna be launching a campaign about 10 of our recent Flow and Grow graduates and their career trajectories and what they're doing. Mm. So I just wanna shine light on all the people who come through and what the amazing ways they're changing their community. So do look out um, for all those blogs and newsletters that are gonna be coming out. Um, yeah, and if anybody wants to get in touch, you can email me through the website. I've got you know Instagram and Facebook and everything. So please don't be shy um, to reach out anytime. Great. Laura, thank you so much. Third time on the podcast, you'll be on again. I know we, we could talk. <laughs> we could talk for thousands of hours. I know. Thank you so much for for being on and for sharing all of your wisdom. Thank you, Jessica, for having the podcast. For we've got a motorcycle for having me, and um, just for your friendship, I really value you and I love you. <laughs> I love you too. All right, Bye, have guys. a good rest of your day. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like to support the Kids Yoga Podcast, here are a few ways you can do that. Visit www.thekidsyogapodcast.com. Here you'll see a link to my Patreon page, and you will see different monthly subscriptions, which will offer you added benefits. You can also contact me through the website and see all of the episodes that have been released so far. In addition, I truly appreciate those five-star reviews and ratings because it just brings so many more people to the show and it just means the world. So if you feel compelled, a rating and review and press that subscribe button as well. So if you want to get in touch, shoot me an email, thekidsyogapodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow The Kids Yoga Podcast on Instagram and on Facebook. Again, Thank you so much for being here.